HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome, welcome, welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Daniel Jonas, sommelier, wine importer, and founder of La Paulet. We also have a little audience today, Patrick Cappiello. These guys know wine like Escobar knows blow, so we got to stay on top of the game. We'll talk a lot about French wines, specifically Burgundy, and we'll get into the La Paulet in New York City coming up in March. We'll also taste a Chablis from Burgundy for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. All right, Daniel Jonas is a James Beard award-winning sommelier. He's the wine director of Daniel Balud's Dynex Restaurant Group. He's a wine importer, entrepreneur, and founder of the Burgundian Wine Celebration, La Paulet, in, in New York and in San Francisco. I would say that Daniel is a true Francophile and one of Burgundy's biggest champions. And he recently moved his family, not just you, to Lyon, France. 
So I want to welcome you to the show, Daniel. Thank you. And I'm very curious. You recently moved to Lyon. When and why? Well, I'm glad that you said with my family. I, you know, I not your girlfriend. <laughs> Jesus, blow no, the whole no, thing no, in the no, first no. two minutes. No, come on. Yeah, we um, we're living in Lyon uh, for the year. Why? You know, it's a little something to do. Is this <laughs> no? We. It's, it wasn't it's, impulsive, it, it, was it? You know, I, sp- I spend a lot of time in France. Um, right. We'll get into been that. Been going from New York to France every four, four to six weeks. And I just felt that this was something that I wanted to do for my daughter, who's 15. And I had that experience as a child when I went to France. Uh, I was a little bit older. I was 18 years old. So you enrolled her in school for this cycle. I brought her into, put her in school, and uh, I just thought that it's something that could open her eyes to another culture, another language, and um, something that we could experience together as a family. And uh, did it for myself also, you know, so I'm not just thinking, you know. You don't have to schlep as much. <laughs> Patrick, don't you wish you had a dad like that? Telling you. He kind of is my dad. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, what's incredible about being in Lyon, I can be in Cote Roti in 27 north? minutes. Huh? The Cote Roti is north? Or? No, Cote Roti is just south of Lyon. It is? Yeah. So the location is great. It, it's unbelievable. I can get to Beaujolais in 45 minutes. I can be in Merceau and have lunch with Dominique Lafon in an hour and 20 minutes. Was that why you decided on Lyon, or yeah. Lyon had that? And well, it was that also because Paris is, I mean, Paris is an unbelievable city, but coming out of New York, we wanted to go to a city that was a little bit more low-key, and especially for work, if I'm going to be in Lyon, I can get to the vineyards immediately. Right, so. that's important to you. All right, so plus there's good food there. Isn't that the home of Daniel Balud? Yeah, he's Leon? just outside in the suburbs of yeah. uh, his family's, yeah. just outside of Lyon. So this is a good time to ask you. You've had a pretty interesting journey to where you are now. Um, a lot of hospitality, a lot of wine, you know, what you're currently doing. Quickly take us through, you know, that first touch with wine up until today. Because you more or as much or more than anyone, you know, have an interesting course well, the first, the, my first, you know, the first experience with wine that really opened my eyes and my palate to wine was, it, it's funny, I was working in 1982. Well, I'm going to have to backtrack just a little bit more. Um, 1978, I was working in a restaurant in New York called the Landmark Tavern. and Over I, on like 10th or 11th? Yeah, 11th, 11th Avenue there. and 46th Street. So yeah. it's been there for 100, right. I don't remember what year, 150. 50 years, but um, uh, I was I was working, making a little bit of money, and I fell in love with the restaurant scene, and met Guy Savoie, three star Michelin chef, and uh, asked if I could go over into a, a stage in his kitchen, and um, I did that. I did that in 1981, 82, and I went to a couple of other restaurants. But when I came back to New York, I worked at Acker Merrill. Oh, I didn't know. That. I worked at Acker Merrill, uh, just cleaning the shelves. Was and John look- Capon even born? No, then? I don't think he was yeah. born yet. But um, I learned. I was learning about wine. I was pretty good store. Just, I mean, selection wise. Oh my god, it was incredible. Yeah. So, I asked at the time there was a, a man working there, Jerry Jacobson. I said, "I'm going home for Thanksgiving, and I'd like a really special bottle of wine." And I didn't know much about wine, but I wanted a nice bottle of wine. 
So he said, here, try this. It's $30. And I said, oh, that's, you know, that's kind of a lot for me. What but, would that translate to today? Well, when I tell you the wine, okay. you, you know. So he 61 Petrus. No, it was 1976 La Moulin wow. from Kigal. Okay. And Jesus. $30. I said, okay, I'll try it. I took it to my mom's for Thanksgiving, had it with the turkey. And the turkey, and the, it was like, I opened the bottle, and it was the first time that I opened a bottle, and I didn't want to share it with anyone. I just wanted to drink it. <laughs> right then and there. I mean, it just hit you out of the bottle. Oh, it was, it's, to this day. Nobody said the Landon was better? No. Oh. They didn't know. No, it's not. But um, that's but that, 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 that's, that was the first wine. And, you know, when I interview people, I say, what was the aha moment? What was the wine or the experience that you had that made you want to pursue a career in this business? Because I don't want people, I don't want to hire somebody who's just studying and it's just book savvy. I want there to be some emotion. A passionate answer. Sure. And so that's what I look for. I look for a story like that because when you're talking to a guest, when you're talking to anybody about wine, it's about telling a story. Well, I'm going to ask so. you something later about wine. So Landmark Tavern sort of got you exposed to hospitality. Exactly. The guy at Acker Merrill sent you home with a pretty good wine, which was nice. He could have given you uh, a lot well, less interesting he, he choices. he also took me to Burgundy. My first trip to Burgundy. While you were working there? Yeah. And uh, I was in the cellars of Dr. George Munieray, who passed away shortly after that. I was in the cellars of uh, René Angel. I, I mean, I was in the... Tasting through all the cellars, yeah. right? So, so now you've expanded your palate. And I would walk out. We would leave the cellar. On the way out, they were so generous. And this is really what, you know... Blew me away about Burgundy was the hospitality, the generosity. They would hand us a magnum of something on the way out the door. Just like as a parting gift? Like a 64 Clovougeau <laughs> from Angel. <laughs> or, you know, I say, what's your birth year? 71 Le Ponceau. I say, what's your birth year? I say, oh, you know, 1955. You gave me a bottle, 55. And it's like, and then Jesus. I'd get out to the car and Jerry would say, hey, you know, he only gave that- you that because it was. With that, me, that's Give, company that's my property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry isn't such a nice guy now. Oh, he was. I owe everything All to right. him. So you're at Acker. How long? He brings you to Burgundy. With them, what happened? Well, that was pretty short lived. Uh, six months or a year or something. But wow, you got to go to Burgundy though. Yeah, but um, then I, I knew that I wanted to stay in the restaurant business. I applied for a job at uh, a soon to open restaurant called Le Regence in the new Plaza Athenay Hotel. Right, up on the Upper East Side. The Upper East Side on 64th Street. And I uh, interviewed with Daniel Boulou. Was he the chef? He was the head chef. He, was the, he wasn't the owner, though. He was the no, chef. it was the hotel, the, it was a hotel the Plaza Athenay. Right. And um, they asked me, uh, there was just an ad in the New York Times, I mean, who, look, who applies for a job today looking at the New York Times? I mean, anyhow... I, I went to interview, and they said, are you interviewing for the front of the house or the back of the house? And <clears throat> Did you know? I didn't know, because I had spent a couple of years cooking. But then I realized that after those two years cooking, I realized that cooking was not for me. It's just hot in the kitchen. <laughs> and You got to get tattoos. I, no, really, it, it, what it was was I enjoy talking to people. And uh, being in the dining room, in the service, you really 
able to communicate and talk to people. That was more your interest that was, in that's, wheelhouse. That's my thing. Yeah. So you took the front of the room there, front of the front of the that's, house, and and Drew Nieperent was a captain at uh, at, at La Regence. Ah. That's where I met Drew. Pretty good crew. You, Drew, and Danielle. Yeah, Impressive. there was there were a few who else was there. Nobody else you would know, I don't think. But uh, yeah, Drew was there and told me. Uh, his plans. He it's was like, already hey, planning. Come here, come here. I'm starting my own place, yeah, right? He, he, no, it, no, he wouldn't do that. No. <laughs> Not true. No, I just loved his concept so much that. Um, the hotel was not for me. It was uh, very corporate and union, and you'd seven, seven days straight, doubles every day, and then wow. you'd have two days off. Oof. And I just met it's like my the Catskill Mountains. Yeah, it was crazy, and I don't know. I mean, I just met my 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 wife, my future wife, and we weren't seeing each other. And Tribeca at the time was unknown, undiscovered. So I just loved the what, whole. What year concept. are we talking again? Eighty four, eighty five. That's right. Really nothing. Yeah, nobody I mean, the Flatiron section wasn't even developed. No, the only restaurant down there was the Odeon. Right. I think the Odeon opened in 82. Right. Something like that. That's right. And then Montrachet 85. So you left and you went with Drew. Yeah. Drew opened Montrachet, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was his first restaurant. So did he approach you? No, I approached him. I said, you're going to hire me. And he said... Oh, I'm not sure. I don't. It's a small staff. I don't. You know, I don't have it. I said, Drew, come on. I want to work here. I would go in and I'd helped him paint before the restaurant opened. So, at what capacity, formally or officially, did you start there at? Waiter. You waited. But everybody was the same. The front of the house was all. There was no busboy, captain. Waiter. Was there? Wine in the cellar and wine service. I mean, no, was no, somebody no, no, handling no. that then? No, you have no, no, you have no understanding of <laughs> what. Tell me. <laughs> no, no, there was no cellar. There was no basement. There, there was were, no wine. There, well, there was very little, little wine, wine actually. All the wine was stored over the bar, and then as I took on the responsibility of the wine, managing the wine program, um, we had to lift the banquettes and there was extra storage space we had to find every available space you stored wine under the banquette yeah of course and you know Sounds if you need nice it, and warm and cozy no right? no 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 we, it was nice it For was a nice and cool. or something we didn't have a lot of wine it would turn over very quickly and uh, the only thing that was difficult was in the middle of service if we had to ask somebody to get up so we can get a bottle of wine. So, <laughs> right. I'm Please. just kidding. No, it's, like, it's like tilting the car so somebody, car seat, so somebody gets it in the back. Just so, kidding. Was wine service sort of average in New York then, or there were restaurants and people? You no, know, there was nobody. But let me tell you. Cause, all over the city? Wine was well, just there not. There was Kevin's Rally. There was Kevin Roger was on the Gorn. show, right? A couple there of guys. Josh Wesson. Well, Josh, I think, had already... I, I don't think he was w- working the floor anymore at that time. There, there, Joey Delisio. So the really, it was really the infancy of wine service yeah. and fine wine with fine dining. I mean, you were at yeah. the early stages in New York. But I just want to clarify something because, you know, I said we stored wine over the bar, the banquettes, but temperature of wine was always a major major issue for me and we used to do this i used to do this this thing where the wine was room temperature you know and that's too warm for a red wine little i'd have this whole process where i'd get the bottle 
I present it to the guest. I'd always had a few ice buckets on the Gerardon on the side, different amounts of ice in it. Present the bottle, you bring it back, put it in the ice bucket. That gives you a chance. You give it a few spins. Then you go get the glasses, put the glasses on the table, a few more spins. Everything okay. Open the bottle. You know, by that time, you brought the temperature down to just the right temperature. A few degrees. And today, that's the thing that drives me crazy more than anything else. You go to a restaurant, and they serve you the wine too warm. Or the white wine too cold, but that's not so... I was so just going to say, either get too cold on white or room temperature yeah, warmer on red. Too cold on white doesn't set such a big deal. It warms up quickly. So you're, you're at, you're at Montrachet. You're with Myriad, with Drew, for what, 20 years? 20 years, but... So you started hiding wine under banquettes, <laughs> chilling wine in a cooler. Give me the next 19 years. Well, we did a... I mean... <laughs> Well, the banquettes didn't last that long. We got some Euro cobs. We got some storage facilities. We had a warehouse that was temperature control. We would bring cases in daily. Um, so, so, you know, it costs money to buy good wine. You got to inventory it. Was Drew, was their cash starting to flow in the business and Drew was open to bringing more wine in, or you had to twist his Drew arm? Drew was incredible. First of all, wine did not cost then what right. it costs today. Right. I mean, you know... Not even just, proportionate. It was just way less. It was just right. nothing. Um, and Drew is just... Inc- he was incredible in giving... He saw the results of the wine program and the clientele that was coming in and the, note, the, the attention that we were getting because of the wine... And it was carte blanche. It was whatever you want to do. So, what, yeah. What was your lean then? Was it because of Montrachet and Burgundy? And Burgundy. We French were the first. Fruit. You were heavy Burgundy? Well, we were, yeah. We, it, yes. I mean, there was uh, American wine also. Very little Italian. Maybe there was a Vegas. There was, no uh, Bordeaux or Rhones? Not as uh, much? We, had, we actually had a great Bordeaux list at one point. I, I, I did a section called... The Legends of Bordeaux, uh, and it was only like 61, 59, 66, wow. like great Bordeaux, 82. You could get great Bordeaux. So weren't you going against the grain in a sense? Because Bordeaux was the restaurant wine. You know, later on, steakhouses took on the big Cali cabs. Yeah. Burgundy wasn't as prominent and prolific then. So you, like I said earlier, you were a champion. I mean, you felt, let me get these Burgundies in here. We had to talk people into drinking Rumier. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, you know, it was like, trust me, you're going to like this. Um, and whenever anyone tasted it, they <laughs> loved it. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, and De Vogue. I mean, we had old bottles. Rousseau, I remember, we had 59 Chambertin. We had just amazing bottles of wine. And uh, it was the first restaurant that focused on Burgundy. And a lot of the clientele would come in and, you know, think about the mid-80s, late-80s. You were coming out of a cocktail culture. Mentality. And sure. people were drinking, I'll have a glass of Chablis, saying, I'll just have any kind of white wine. It doesn't matter. The public is so much more sophisticated today. Yeah. So you finished up in what, about 2005? 2005. And... Where were you at that point then? Yeah, but a lot happened in between. I mean, Patrick Cappiello came 
he, he, he was like, well, where would we be without Patrick Campbell? Where was Patrick? We would where do, was Patrick there? Patrick was over at Tribeca Grill. He was in the okay. he was David in the, Gordon on the wrong side of the the tracks, you know. But what, like, what year we're talking? David Gordon. Wait, so uh, give to me a Patrick. Per- what year was that? Two thousand and one. I started. So give me a perspective grill. because so Tim Kopech. Wait, Montreche. You know, turned out to be this big thing, Tribeca Grill. So, right. when did Tribeca open? After 1990. So, Robert De Niro used to come into Montreche. He's like, hey, let's open a place. Oh, uh, right? he drew, you know, Drew hit it off right. with him and they opened uh, Tribeca Grill. That's where De Niro did his right. studio. Right. I did the opening wine list there in 1990, and David Gordon. Uh, took over the program there probably in 91. Is David still there? Yeah. 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 And Patrick, you work with David, right? I worked under David, yeah. yeah. 2001. So you, you put that list? That's a killer list. Well, no, I did the opening list. The opening but list. The opening still. list, like Montrachet, was a small list. And I focused on American wines, Zinfandel. And fortunately, David loves American wine. He really took, he took, he, I mean, David did the list there, and the list. Today is David at Chateau de Pop and wines from all over. Right. Uh, no, I just opened it and uh, at Nobu opened shortly after that. Right. Did you help with that? Yeah, I did Nobu? the opening list there. I tried to learn about sake, but. So at some point you left there, right? What was the reason you left? To grow? Had enough of these guys? Uh, Patrick was bugging you? <laughs> no. Well, after 20 years, you know, Drew still was very supportive with everything that I was doing and that's how my import company started also uh, I back in about 1990 I wanted a, a reason to go back to France after all those years of living there and spending time and so I'd go to France and discover wines uh, and a friend of mine had a, a license and said hey anytime if you want to clear something through me bring it in and so that's what I did. It was a great time to look yeah. for wines. And Harder uh, now than then. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's very difficult now. What was the first wine, winery, winemaker you convinced? Uh, the first wine was really interesting. Uh, there, it, there, were, there were three. There was um, a Saint-Pourcin. P-O-U-R-C-A-N? C-A-I-N. I-A-N. Pourcin, right. And that is what and where? That is, well, it's considered part of the Loire. Okay. And um, it's it, it, it's a really, it was a vent, uh, VDQS at the time. It wasn't even an Appalachian wine. And uh, I found it in a Cancy. That was that was one of the first wines also. So also the Loire Valley. Um, and um, a Gaillac from Robert Plageol. So I had some really obscure wines. Cancy, Saint-Pourcin, Gaillac. So Gaillac is what? The region Gaillac, or the grape? Uh, no, Gaillac. No, Mosac is the principal grape for the white wines. Okay. But they have uh, Lendelel and they have some obscure grape varieties. Jesus. And Robert Plageau. Total nerdy we're going here. Right? Oh, <laughs> he would make a wine uh, from the Mosac, a sparkling wine, uh, called Mosac Nature. And this is a wine that was just, um, it's not champagne style. It's a single fermentation. Which it's, is all the pet nats now. Yeah, exactly. Same style, and, right? And you'd be surprised when, if I tell people that I brought in Robert Plageau. 30 years ago. They can't believe it because right. it's a natural wine. And it's 
<laughs> it's also so I'm too old for that, it's, right? It's been hot. For but years Thomas too. Keller served it by the glass at Raquel, which was his restaurant on Seventh Avenue. That's right. That's right. Uh, he would serve. So by the you were working and traveling to France. Yes. And juggling both. Let me see if I can get some uh, wine guys where I could help uh, import their wines. Exactly. The job and all of that. So those were your first three wines, and that was the beginning. That was the beginning, and then I was friends with Dominique Lafont through Montrachet and meeting him there. And I asked him if there was anything happening in Burgundy that I could look at for importing. And uh, he turned me on to his friend Jean-Pierre de Smet at Domaine de Larlo in Nuit saint George. That was one of your early... That was de my Arlo. first major... Yeah, major one. Right. To Mendel Arlo. And that opened doors, I guess. Open doors at restaurants or... The- yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, small business, but right. they were just starting also, and um, we hit it off. Right. So you leave... You leave... Uh, Myriad and Drew behind. Well, really, I, you know, uh, 9-11... Pretty much devastated the, the downtown district in Tribeca, That's right. and uh, the whole restaurant scene changed dramatically after that. And uh, well, I, I mean, in the sense that it stopped. Yeah, well, it stopped. It for stayed stopped quite a few months, and then you know. it took time to build up. People's yeah. heads were all over the place. But you probably remember. I mean, everyone kind of gathered and rallied down there and helped the community like no one else. Oh, of course. The restaurant business. It was unbelievable, It right? was, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, one of the things uh, in October, uh, well, no, I, I'm just trying to think of the date. It was um, November. It was November. It was a couple months later. I, call, I called up Robert Parker, and I said, you know, would you be willing to participate in a uh, fundraiser? And he said, of course. You know, the guy's got the biggest heart on the planet and uh, together we contacted uh, a bunch of chefs Daniel Boulou Charlie Palmer um, I don't remember who else was there and and we called uh, I asked Bob if he would contact the wineries and uh, Colgan Harlan Bryant all American wow. wineries and uh, we did an auction that night and raised a million dollars wow for uh, Windows of Hope that's terrific. Yeah, it was it was, yeah. it was it was amazing. So everybody gets out of the uh, dust of that, which was tough because you were downtown guys. You hook up with Danielle. Yep. It was time to, with everything going on. Yeah, it was time for a new challenge, a new adventure. And um, a guy like Danielle Ballou, who at the time only had three restaurants, had three restaurants, uh, decided that he wanted to expand his and grow his his empire. Uh, offered me the position that didn't exist. He had sommeliers in his each of his restaurants, and offered me the position of uh, wine director. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, I think I uh, how can I not say yes? I'll always wonder. The guy had aspirations. Yeah, he, he was one of the best chefs. Yeah, and wine was important. He's uh, a good place to. He be also at. is one of the most incredible people. Great, great, great person. Large heart, generous. So now you're talking almost twenty restaurants, right? Now, well, I think it's sixteen. Sixteen. It's it depends how you count because he oh, he's got the pizzeria. Right. 
Uh, by Lincoln Center. Yeah, Lincoln Center, bar the Plaza. Bar was and, a very wine-centric, yeah. you know, bar. All uh, the and that was part of the decision also to open a wine bar. So you operated where you were his beverage wine director, and you had Psalms in all the restaurants? Yeah. On the floor every night? Yeah. Were you on the floor at times walking around talking <laughs> to people? I was, but not, not a regular shift. Not a regular shift. Right. You didn't, uh, I would you didn't have to be. No, I... You, you had your dose of hospitality. Well, no, the never enough. The landmark days were wearing thin. I love no, it. I There's know. nothing, never enough. But um, no, I think that the uh, the new. I, I really think that the sommelier has to be in the restaurant, working, dedicated to that wine list, to that clientele. You can't just make a guest appearance and right. take over a program. And to your credit, you had great people. You were able to attract great people. Unbelievable. You had pros. Michael Madrigal. Michael was on the show. Where is he? Is he out there? <laughs> He's supposed is to he? stop by. I told him to Mike, make a guest Mike, appearance. Mike, did the show. Yeah. Um, Mike and... So that was uh, a great reflection. Tim Kopech and... Yeah. Wow. All great guys. And, to, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to find this kind of talent who all really are passionate, able to communicate. Madrigal, Raj Vedya. Raj now... Is Raj the, is still with you. He's the head sommelier for the group. He's the head sommelier at Danielle, and he's working five nights a week there. But he's also uh, working, communicating with the sommeliers at the other restaurants. Nice. Yeah. And Amanda a, Smeltz, who used to work Amanda's, at Roberta's, right. where in Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, right. went over to, took Michael's. Took in, stepped into his shoes. Right. right. Which is a, a great place and all that. So you're still there. Your wine importing business has grown to the point where you have some of the rock stars of Burgundy and other wines. Um, Anything else with your wine business? Any changes or anything you (laughs) want to talk about? Or will we skip over that? No, 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 no. Well, no, I've uh, just recently become a partner with Grand Cru Selections. Okay. An amazing uh, young uh, importer. And... Really dynamic. You know, Domaine D'Angerville, Guillaume D'Angerville, joined them. And I was trying to get D'Angerville into my portfolio uh, for some time. Were they over at Grand Cru? And Guillaume, when he made a decision to go to Grand Cru, I I said to him, I said, Guillaume, why? why? I don't understand. Why? And um, he said, the reason I decided to go with them is because they're a young, growing, really dynamic uh, company, I want to be part of something like that. Coming from a guy like that, yeah, lends a lot of credibility, and I guess helped you make a decision. I guess it was time for you to take the business to another level, and at that time, those guys made sense. Well, it's different, you know. I'm really happy to be a partner in a company and uh, have that's, a vested interest in it, and uh, that's the game. You know, too. I really believe in it, and uh, the Skernick organization where I was for you know ten years is, is just a, a great, great company. Right. right. Uh, and it's always difficult, you know. It's like uh, moving on from Drew after so many years was was tough. We're still friends. Moving He's on from Skernick, tough. Unbelievable, Helped yeah. you build the business Very and all difficult. that stuff. Yeah. Um, Ned and Brian are going to be on the show next week. <laughs> and my interest in having them on the show is this show is more for listeners. It's not a psalm to psalm trade thing like Joe Campanelli's show. You know, we want to teach people. We want to give them an insight, try to be unpretentious and all that. And I think they would... 
Brian's a great social media guy, so yeah. tying social media to wine is a good reason. But also, I don't think, you know, the audience knows the whole distribution, you know, thing. We're not going to get into that heavily, but, you know, they're, they're capable of talking about it. All right. So we're up to date with you. Well, tell them I say hi. I will. I'll be back in France by then. I will. Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards. The very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds, delicious fresh cheese curds, or deep-fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Chirchois, which was named 2016's World Champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com. And as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer. You're now at Grand Cru Selections. It's Daniel Jonas Wines, or is there... Yeah, my name's still on the label. Okay. Yep. Um, and you're still with Danielle at the Dynex Group. All right, I want to ask you a bunch of questions, and I don't ask this to a lot of people because Uh-oh. I... What if I can't answer That's them? a goofy question. But, All right. But I don't care what a lot of people are going to say. I want you to tell me, answer this question, three words. What is wine? How you see it. What is wine? Yeah. Not the scientific term. You know, what it, what it means, you know, how it involves... Tell me what wine is to you. It's, a, it's, it's nourishment. Okay. I can't eat... A meal, except for breakfast, <laughs> or I often don't have wine at lunch either. But it's sort of that it's that it's that nourishment and that 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 extra dimension and spice uh, in life, in life, and in in my meal and the enjoyment at the end of the day. Or I think we're going to have a glass of wine right now. Um, but it's that it's it's that nourishment, and to me, it takes me to another place. It's not just the flavor of the wine; it's again that story. It's whether I'm fortunate because I've been to a lot of these places, so I can visualize the soil, the terroir, the people who made the wine, and all that. And to me, that's like, you know, it's I find that very relaxing. Just well, that that's why I asked you because you have a deeper perspective. I mean, you've been out in the vineyards, you've seen. The winemakers, the owners make it. I mean, there's more. It's a very passionate thing. It's more than just the social lubricant and all that. Yeah. And I think you've sort of been involved, you know, in any end, every end of it. Um, all right. So I want to shift over to Burgundy because I'm going to guess my audience knows shit from Shinola about Burgundy. Um, probably doesn't have the money. So you're mm. going to help me. 
um, talk about Burgundy. We know it's one of the smallest produced wines. We know it's one of the most collected, one of the most expensive. Um, just hard to come about. So let's talk to my listeners. How can they drink Burgundy? What what What's an affordable way to drink Burgundy? What should they be looking for? What's a good value? I mean, take me not down, but take me to a level that's, you know, accessible. Well, <clears throat> I think today is probably one of the greatest times for people to get introduced to Burgundy. You have a whole generation of young winemakers in Burgundy today who are making really, really delicious wine. Not necessarily the sons of older Not necessarily, guys, no, guys too, it's, right? It's, but it's also in the outlying areas, whether it be the Haute Cote, some of the vineyards that are off the main path, off the main appellations, such as so Jeffrey those coveted plots. The, those are, it's expanded. Those, it's, it's, I mean, the vineyard wine. land has not expanded. It's always been there. Right. But what people are doing with some of these more uh, marginal vineyards is incredible. Partially, I could say, due to climate change, some of the higher altitude vineyards are producing really, really terrific wine and a pure expression of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. But you also have the talent of young generation who are really overachieving with these wines. And still... <clears throat> For $15, $20, $25, you can get a delicious bottle of wine. So they're making reasonably, reasonably priced wines, Yeah, accessible. Production's a little higher because they're growing on more land uh, or not necessarily? The production's not going to be higher because they're but putting – they're putting they're, a lot of these people are growing organically. It's all hand harvested and everything right. is very artisanal only, in a lot of ways. Right. But I think that what you're getting is um, you're getting – a, a a lot of talent. You know, you're not getting the pinnacle, but the pinnacle is going to be one percent of all Burgundy. That's but I'm, the I'm not talking about the pinnacle. So let's get specific. Talk to me about regions. You, you just mentioned, you know, an area, right? Talk to me about a couple of regions. Talk to me about um, a couple of winemakers. There's a and, guy <clears throat> and some styles. You know, is it Bourgogne Could, Blanc or tell me? What here's a guy in this. Uh, you know. Uh, full disclosure, this is the guy who's one I, I represent. DJ, I'm okay with that. DJ Fornerol. Spell it. D-D-A-D-I-D-I-E-R. Spell the Fornerol, last name. Fornerol. F-O-R-N-E-R-O-L. Okay. He's a guy whose family, oh, I don't know, goes back maybe 60, 70 years in the Cote de Nuit village. And he's making absolutely delicious. Cote de Nuit. C-O-T-E-D-E-N-U-I-T. Cote de Nuit, yes, and then village, village, village okay, right? Cote de Nuit village, got it. And um, in Corgoloin, huh, which is another obscure village, but it's part of the the uh, villages that can belong to this appellation. And he's making whole cluster wines, spice, elegant, very perfumed, absolutely delicious Pinot Noir. This, the, I don't know what the retail price is going to be. Maybe twenty five dollars a bottle. Wow. And the wines are absolutely delicious. There's a woman. Now, Anna, is it fairly readily available? Uh, I mean, no, okay. <laughs> but no burgundy is. Well, then give me. Then no burgundy. Take it down a level. So then you could go to um, to one of the negociants, such as Druin, okay. Joseph Druin, right? And those wines is a wonderful style, elegant, very often very light in color, 
but very intense and very perfumed. And these wines are more readily available. And Louis the, Jadot. The production's a little the higher, right? The production's a little bit higher. But, um, so the Jadots and the Druans are making d- delicious good wines wine. for and the for price. And for a long time, Negociant, the name Negociant had a bad connotation, but it's absolutely false. Some people would say, oh, I don't want to buy Negociant wine. I only want to buy a grower wine. You know, the Negociants today are making wine to rival some of the, the growers. And they have access to grapes, and they're making some delicious wine, especially from a conscientious house I, such I, as I that. I know what you're saying, but, I mean, the challenge here is, you know, we're, we're talking to people that are not going to spend a lot of money. So you have to go to an outside region or to a negociant. You know, that's where you're going to get the best value in all of that. Now, are there, are there, I don't know how to say it, are there Burgundian table wines is is Bourguignon Blanc a Burgundian, you know, white table wine? I don't know if that's the best description. Well, I don't but. know about table wine, but I think that you can get true expressions uh, and really, really delicious wine from uh, Bourgogne, Bourgogne Aligoté, Bourgogne Rouge, uh, Côte de Nuit Village, Haute Côte, and some of the small... Good Apple wines, and- good values? Yeah, and you have to remember, in Burgundy, um, and this is true all over the world of wine, the producer's paramount. It's the producer. Right. He's the artisan. He's the pr- craftsman who's really making the wine. So you may have somebody such as uh, Denny Bachelet, who is a very small B-A-C-H-E-L-E-T. producer. B-A-C-H-E-L-E-T. Exactly. In the village of Jerry Chamartin. He only has like five hectares of vines. Very little. But his wines are extraordinary. You can't find the top wines very easily. You can't even find the Bourgogne. But if you buy his basic Bourgogne Rouge, you're getting a wine that is so, so delicious. That's what I'm looking for. So and you take a great guy like Bachelet who makes the exactly. the Mac Daddy high-end wines, and he's making a lower-end wine the with same all care, the expertise and care. The same care, the same attention. What? Give me a price range on the lower-end stuff. Is it 25 35 40 bucks? Yeah. Okay. And for white wines, I think that a region that is well, one of my favorite Chardonnay regions, Chablis. Right. Now, of course, the famous Chardonnay in Burgundy comes from Chassagne Morche, Pouligny Morche, Merceau, and for good reason. Uh, but for value. But those are and, all the Rumiers and Rabbit, you know, those are the expensive ones. Well, Give me the. Of course, but if you go to Chablis, even the expensive ones, except for Ravenot and Dovisat, which are quite pricey when they get into the market here, but Chablis is an extraordinary value. So give me some makers Moro Noday. M-O-R-E-A-U hyphen N-A-U-D-E-T. Price point? Uh, well, you know, he's going to have anywhere from a Chablis to a Premier Cru to a Grand Cru. So the basic Chablis is probably going to be, again, about $30. Okay. That's a, something, that's a good question for Ned and okay. uh, we'll definitely, when you uh, see him. Okay, we'll definitely approach him with it. What about... Got any Chablis uh, producers got, you like? I got that. Patrick? Huh? <laughs> we're gonna taste. Couple. We're gonna taste that La Roche Chablis. Oh, there you go. Um, what? Where are good places to buy? Let's talk New York because we have a big audience. But online, I mean, to find the lower end stuff, some are readily available in some stores. You know, <laughs> you're talking to the wrong guy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't buy wine. <laughs> I don't buy wine. Retail. Guy owns a wine import. Company. I go to. I go to the vineyard and buy it. All right, I want to talk I'm privileged. All right, so there's a few Burgundy suggestions, you know, where you could drink some good Burgundy without 
worrying about access or price or whatever. I want to talk to you about the natural and raw wine movement, which, since I've been doing the show, has blown up even more than it blew up before I even knew about it. There was a raw wine fair in New York for the first time. Um, Tell me your feelings. I know the natural. Raw Wine Fair took place the same weekend as La Fête du Champagne. <laughs> uh, was That's it? Okay. Yeah, it That's was you week. and Peter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah with Peter Lim. Um, but the Raw Wine Fair was great. I, I, I but just, not the fair. Tell me about you know the whole Raw Wine thing. Are you involved with a lot of natural, organic, biodynamic guys? Or not? Tons. Tons. I just don't the talk way about they, it. I don't talk about it. But that's the way they do it anyway. I like don't you talk said, about unprompted. it. And the winemakers who make the wines, who, who, whose wines I, I represent, they don't talk about it either. They don't put a label on the bottle. They don't talk about it. That's just the way they live. And to me, that's much more important than selling your wine through marketing it as right. a raw, natural, I, I guess whatever. what I've noticed I is really more of that. There's so many great wines that are being made naturally organically but then there's this whole movement of you know raw biodynamic natural yeah. it just seems bigger now than I ever. don't belong to uh, militant uh, <laughs> positions yeah you know I mean I, I I think it's about the taste of the flavor of the wine and as long as they're respecting a great deal of respect for the terroir the grape variety and uh, it's the way they're making the wine. Well, like, like anything. I'm okay g- with that. There are guys that are very deep into that and passionate and other guys that aren't making, you know, wines as good as the other guys. But, you know, I, I think part of that movement is something you brought up earlier. The pet net thing is probably bigger now um, than it was. I or, really don't know. Again, I don't really know. I don't belong to any movements and uh, I, I really don't care to. Right. I'll go into a natural... I've went into a, a, a natural quote-unquote wine bar not too long ago. I'm not going to mention the name. And uh, somebody recognized me and said, well, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, because I've been around for a while. I'm not known it's for... Like, it's like Pat LaFrieda walking into like Chloe or something. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not, what are you doing here? I don't, I don't like, uh, you know, put up a banner about natural wine. I don't market my wines natural. And I said, why? Why shouldn't I be here? I like I'm, I like wine. I want to taste some good wine, and uh, that was okay after that. But I was just shocked. But I, I that, think that's a fair perspective, and that's the real perspective. That stuff exists, but it's not you know the end all. The movement really isn't a movement. There are guys focusing on marketing natural wines, but some of the best and oldest guys that's been their practices. Exactly. You know, and, but so. you know, I, I, I do have to say though that that sort of Position people making a big deal about it has done a lot of good for the, the the whole world of wine because it's made a lot of people question themselves, their practices, how they're making the wine, how they're ta- taking care of their vineyards, and creating that dialogue has been extremely useful. Right, I think it's been great. All right, a couple more questions, then I want to uh, ask you a few things on my wine list. Um, are rich guys starting to buy up Burgundy the way they did in Bordeaux and in Napa? Or there's... Stan Kroenke you... just bought Bono de Martre. That's right. <laughs> and a couple of uh, other wineries were sold to some French companies. Yeah, yeah, They've been yeah. buying a lot of Bordeaux. Is that a trend or that's just... I think it's a trend. I think it's, a, it's something that's 
dramatically changing the landscape uh, figuratively yeah. of Burgundy. And, uh, are guys looking to cash in because there's an opportunity? No, or? I don't think the Burgundians are looking That's to not, cash in. Right. That's not their motivation. Um, it's sometimes out of necessity because the inheritance laws in France right. don't the, allow the, the succession. The land laws are crazy, right? Well, it's the land laws, no, it's the taxation on the, the, taxation. the value of the land. Um, so you think you'll see a little more of that? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Unfortunately. Too. All right, we're going to take a break after you answer this question. Tell me your opinion and what impact a guy like Rudy Kernerwan, whatever his name is. Kernerwan. Kernerwan. Rudy, yeah. Had on Burgundy. I mean, you're as deep into Burgundy as anything. What, what's your feeling about Well, I think that... <laughs> The impact he had on on all wine, not just Burgundy, but, right. but the classic wines, uh, Bordeaux, Burgundy, right. maybe select few producers of Rhone wine, um, maybe – anyhow, the effect he had um, was dramatic and uh, disgraceful. And Is it uh, something you felt? Oh, yeah. I think everybody – I mean, in your pocket, reputation, credibility, no, no, not no. personally, but – Oh, yeah. I, I think anybody who has contact with wine on that level, whether it be a clientele or a wine seller, uh, has been affected by it one way or another. So are we, now that he's behind bars and the movie came out, are we behind that? I don't there, think so. There's still more? Well, I think there's still a lot of wine out there, and I don't think he's the only one who's doing it. So the stuff that's still out there, there are other guys that are potentially... I mean, I probably. I don't know. It's very possible, but you know, not at the, the scale worst, that he did. What it's done is that when you have the rare opportunity, you're lucky enough to taste to be served an old, great classic wine. That you have that in your back of your mind. The first question you're asking yourself before you even taste it is, oh, "I hope this is not fake." Right. You know, it's unfortunate. Yeah, it's it takes. Not, it's not where you wanted things to go. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking to Daniel Jonas. We'll be back. And Patrick Capiello. And Patrick. He just hasn't said very much. Patrick's a very quiet guy. Shy. <laughs> if you see him at parties, you'll know what I mean. Um, <laughs> when we come back, we're going to do the wine list with Daniel, and we're going to quickly do our weekly wine sip and get into this wine and see what the guys are saying. We'll be right back. So, Sam, you can just come right back in, and I'll edit okay. it later because uh, right. we got to be out in five. All right. Yeah, we got to finish up. All right. You ready, David? Yep, go ahead. <clears throat> All right, Daniel, every week on the show we do a thing called the wine list. We ask our guests to answer some unprompted questions and just move through this quickly, nothing too hard. What are you drinking? I think Patrick's going to answer. I'm happy with both, but I'd love to have Patrick on and have him do his own, but we're fine. What, what are you drinking now? Water. <laughs> no, what? Is there anything seasonal or something oh, that wine? Savoie. Savoie? I love these wines. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's very close to Lyon. I love the Jacques. Give me a good producer. Oh, boy. Uh, here's, a, here's a guy. Uh, boy. You can't put me on the spot like that. All right, forget it because we got to go quicker. No, my memory. Oh, I'm <laughs> Favorite wine and food pairing? Ooh, foie gras. And? And Ikem. Okay, that's pretty good, right? <laughs> First time ever. Um, yeah, it's classic. What can I say? This answer is going to be obvious. 
But give me a second one, too. Uh, Favorite wine restaurant and or bar? <laughs> all bullshit oh, in America? Well, oh. let's just do New York. All Rebel. Bullshit, all bullshit aside. I mean, Barbaloo. Re- okay, Barbaloo. Yeah. Give me another one. Another one. Um, Patrick, what's that place in the Rhone that we go to? Um, in the Rhone? Yeah, come on. Mondragon, Beaugravier. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Rhone wine list. All right, give me your all-time favorite wine. 76 La Moulin. That's the one from the story? Yeah, it got me started. From, what's the guy's name? Harvey? What was his no, name? No, from, uh, from Acromero. What was his yeah, name? Yeah, that, that was uh, Jerry Jacobson. All right, we got to get out of here soon, but answer this question quickly. I got another one. Castet 82 from Costa Really good. Okay. <laughs> good 92 Morachet from Lafont. 62 Musée from right, the Beaugrave. All right, enough, enough. Nobody can come near you. <laughs> Best wine under 15 bucks for my listener. Give me a red. Give me a white. Don't put me on the spot. This is your interview. You're on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you got to come up with something. Musket day. Okay. Oh, I thought you wanted the producer the whole time. No, no. Give me a wine that's that's typically 15 bucks or less. Oh, 15. Cote de Rhone, Musket day. No, 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 no. Yeah, okay. I'll go with Musket day. <laughs> All right. Give me a red. I have expensive taste. Give me a red. <laughs> Muscadet. No. <laughs> Come on. Um, how about uh, Bourgogne Rouge? Okay. Oh, it's more than $15. I got to go under $15. Cote de Rome? No, you know what I love? I love, um, I love like uh, a good Anjou, a good Cabernet Franc. Okay. Yeah. Anjou is what, the region? Anjou, yeah. A-N-J-O-U? It's in the Loire Valley. A-N-J-O-U. All right. So those are some good picks, good answers. All right. We're going to wrap the show up with the weekly wine sip. Every week we taste a different wine on air. For this week's weekly wine sip, we're tasting the 2015 Domaine La Roche Saint Martin Chablis. It's from northern Burgundy in France. It's 100% Chardonnay. Retails for about 19 to 22 bucks. Better available at better wine shops. So guys, help me taste this. Let's see if we like it. Let's start with the color. So it's kind of a golden, not too light, right? Decent color. Yeah. Let's get a light, light, uh, light gold. Light gold. Okay. Yeah. Let's go with the nose. What are you getting on the nose? Well, these plastic glasses. I know. know. You got to work through that. Know, yeah. You got to work through that. Come on. Come on. I get a little pear. It's like a little sea breeze, something very There's fresh. There's a salinity to There's it. It's very fresh. There's a salinity. Aromatic to it. Um, mouthfeel, medium? For a $20 yeah. decent mouthfeel? For it's a- really nice. It's not austere. There's sort of a soft fleshiness to it. Okay. Yeah, it is a little fleshy. Um, I get a little citrus on the palate. Yeah, especially in the right? finish. You get yeah. some of that acidity. Very Mineral refreshing. Mineral salinity and all that. All right. What would you pair this with? Uh, you know, it's something... I'd drink it with anything. I'd have this as an aperitif. Not anything, but I'd have this as a first wine, as an aperitif. Okay. A light first course. All right, so 2015. Smoked trout. Domaine La Roche, St. Martin. Smoked trout. You know, start out the night with it. I like it. I like Chablis like this we, with a little like flesh. We like this wine? I like it. For the money? For the money, $20, okay. yeah. Patrick? Yeah, it's great. Be honest. No, I love it. Chablis is... Okay. Know. 
All right, so we like this wine. Pair it with a little fish, trout, and all that. Okay. All right, guys, we're going to wrap this show up. If you have a question, wine happening, or event, hit me up at Sam at thegrapenation.com. That's Sam at the Grape Nation. Follow us on Twitter at Ben Ruby. Follow us on Instagram at S Ben Ruby. And follow the Grape Nation on Facebook. We want to thank our guest, Daniel Jonas, and his good buddy, little Patrick Cappiello, for sitting in with us. Um, Daniel, Patrick I, used to come over at Morrissey and taste all these great wines. I regret to say one thing that we really didn't get a chance to talk about La Pauli, but very quickly, yeah. La Pauli is a Burgundian celebration that you do that is off the charts in the sense of the people involved, the type of wines available. Yeah. Um, it's coming March 7th to 11th. Exactly. Are there any, the, the website? LaPaule.com, okay. L-A-P-A-U-L-E-E.com. Are there still, it's a multi-day, multi-event thing. Are there still some, some events some available? Some smaller events are sold okay. out. The main event, the marquee event, there's still availability. It's unbelievable. And a lot of restaurants, because of this, yeah. participate in a Burgundy We do a Burgundy week, week for two weeks beforehand. There's Burgundy all over town. So the beginning of March, end of February, because of La Paule, Look for your favorite restaurants, and they'll probably have a burger. Yeah, we're going to have a list at the website, lapoli.com. Okay. Um, and what else can we say about that? Well, we can say that if you like Burgundy, then you should not miss this event. Or if you just want to learn about Burgundy, come. There's, there's okay. seminars, tastings at all levels. Give me the website again? LaPaule.com. L-A-P-A-U-L-E-E. Sounds great. This event is a, an event at a level that you see very few events at. The people that are involved, Patrick is one of the head sommeliers. The wines that are involved, the winemakers that come in and participate, um, the seminars and all that stuff is off the charts. Yeah, I just want to say, you know, Patrick is has been leading the sommelier team for a while. We have sommeliers from all over the world now, Scandinavia, Asia, nice. all over. Great. Coming. So that's La Pauli. All right. Thank you to Daniel. Patrick, thanks for sitting in. Thank you to our engineer, David Tattashore, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby. You've been listening to The Grape Nation, and we'll see you next week. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.